I love that song. So, where did I put my notes? Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. Ah, thank you. <clears throat> All right, so uh, we are rolling up to the end of Romans here. We have one chapter left, and then we're done. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, this last chapter kind of picks up around the middle of chapter 15. Joe, last week, uh, it, it, we originally planned that to be uh, the end of uh, the section that kind of ended before Lent uh, because of snow and whatnot. We ended up uh, moving it up to after Lent, and then it kind of fits there as well, sort of a, a hinge. Joe talked about how Paul was planning to, to visit Rome and why, and, and his uh, travel plans and, and his collection that he was taking up for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and then here in chapter 16, uh, we get Paul giving shout-outs. This is uh, kind of like reading the liner notes, if you, if you ever did that while you're listening to the music. And, and this is a part of Romans that, quite frankly, uh, many people will not necessarily give a whole lot of attention to. Um, after all, it's kind of like reading somebody's yearbook that's not you. Um, there are all these people doing all these things, and you don't know them, and frankly, you don't really care. Uh, but because it's in the Bible, we kind of have to care. Um, but then we may say, yeah, but I still don't care. But there's a lot in here, actually, that we're going to try to be uh, paying attention to during this last section of our Roman series. John uh, Chrysostom who was a church father of the 4th century, uh, Archbishop of Constantinople, so he was a big deal. Um, apparently, he was such a good preacher that they gave him the nickname Chrysostom, which means golden-mouthed. Uh, and he said, uh, I think there are many, even some apparently good commentators, who hurry over this part of the epistle. He's talking here about chapter 16 of Romans. Uh, because they think it is superfluous and of little importance they probably think much the same about the genealogies in the Gospels. And some of you would be shaking your head, say, yeah, those also seem to be superfluous and of little importance. Because it's a catalog of names, they think they can get nothing good out of it. But he said, you know, people who mine gold are careful about even the smallest fragments, but these commentators are going to ignore even huge bars of gold. And you can decide at the end whether this is true or not. Uh, but we are looking to uh, mine as much as we can out of this and to hear what the Spirit is saying. And just to give you a heads up, because we did have to adjust the schedule some in, in light of uh, missing days due to snow, uh, we're going to be bouncing around a bit here in Chapter 16. But again, it's, it's, you, know, you can read the liner notes from the bassist and you can read the thank yous from the guitarist and it kind of doesn't matter what order you read them in. Uh, next week, uh, we'll be welcoming Deidre Good, who teaches New Testament uh, up at General Seminary in New York. Uh, she's going to be talking about, uh, chapter, about verse 7, which is going to be, I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, her on that. Um, but today, we're talking about Phoebe, chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of, in Cancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, for many of us in this room, this is a hard name. 
Because for many of us in the room, up until the early 90s when we heard Phoebe, we thought of Phoebe Cates who was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and was in that scene with the swimming pool. And, um, and then, of course, came Friends. Uh, apparently, is it on Netflix now? They've got and, and, and people I live with have been binge-watching Friends. 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 Uh, and so when you hear Phoebe, then you think about Lisa Kudrow and the Smelly Cat song and this uh, weird ditzy girl playing guitar. I, I especially love the, the one where, where Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders is on and she's the guest star and Phoebe goes to her and says, well, how many chords do you know? <laughs> Chrissy Hind's like, all of them? <laughs> but uh, there are a few things we know of Phoebe just, about Phoebe just from her name, when Phoebe was a name uh, out of uh, Greek mythology. So uh, Phoebe was likely a Gentile because no self-respecting Jew in the first century is going to name their daughter after uh, a Greek goddess. Um, And because she's uh, a servant of the uh, deacon of the church in Cancria, uh, we know that she was uh, probably somebody of of some means and some material success. Cancria was the eastern port of Corinth, the way Corinth uh, was before they dug a canal. Uh, basically, you had the, the port on the west side of this peninsula, uh, one of the most uh, important uh, ports of the first century, very important city. Uh, and then Cancri was the port on the, on the east side. So kind of like in, you know, before they dug the Panama Canal, you would have shipments dropped off on one side and then uh, basically portage over to the other, same kind of thing. And so uh, in, if, if she is uh, in Cancri, she probably would have been involved in, uh, in uh, trade. In uh, import-export, she would have been involved in the shipping business. Uh, And the fact that she is mentioned here first very likely indicates that she is the one who brought this letter to the church in Rome. In fact, she probably would have been the one to read it. So all these times you've read Romans, uh, I, I don't know how many times you ever thought of Romans first being brought to somebody in the voice of a woman, a woman deacon no less, uh, who was reading Paul's words. And we know that uh, because she is uh, in Cancria, uh, she would have been a Gentile. She also, of course, she's coming from Corinth to Rome. Uh, so she is somebody who is comfortable uh, in, in the world of, uh, of travel, which would have been quite easy in the first century. Uh, the Roman, you, you may have heard of the Roman roads. They're known as the Roman roads because the Romans did a really, really good job building roads. So between the roads and, uh, and the shipping trade, uh, people in her line of work would have been bouncing around the Mediterranean, and, and as we're going to see in this chapter, she's not the only one. There are a number of people uh, that Paul has been working with uh, who, who also are able to travel among these churches that Paul has planted. Uh, you remember, as we talked about early on, uh, Romans is one of, the, one of the later letters that Paul wrote. Uh, Paul had never actually been to Rome, had never uh, met the church in Rome, was hoping to do that, as he talks about at the end of 15. Uh, but, uh, but he has, by this point, planted churches in all kinds of places, uh, including a very difficult one in Corinth. So uh, the fact that Phoebe is his, uh, is his representative here means that she probably has been through a lot of that nonsense that was going on in the church in Corinth and, uh, and that she re- had remained one of Paul's supporters through all that. In fact, when Paul uh, says that she is a great help to many people, what he probably is, is using is, is uh, a, a term that would have had some technical sense to it. The Greek word is prostatis, uh, and um, 
basically, the, this would have been a patron. Uh, would have been somebody who was providing support to, to somebody. In, in, the, in that culture, it was not uncommon uh, for people to, to have patrons. And so if, if you were, for example, a, a sculptor, you might have a patron, somebody who supported your work, and, and you received honor by receiving that person's patronage, and that person received honor by being your patron, right? This happens today. If you, if, you, know, you have a ridiculously wealthy person putting some piece of art up on the wall, that was painted by somebody that is unknown, and then that person becomes, uh, becomes famous, then it's an honor to the person who's become famous, but it's also an honor to the person who was supporting that person, who was their patron early on. And it's likely that when Paul says that she was a prostatus to him, uh, to many people, including him, uh, that he's meaning that she was somebody who was supporting, probably financially, the work of the early church. Uh, him and probably helping other church planters like him. Uh, in fact, what we're going to see throughout chapter 16 is, is there are people involved in the early church, and, and I hope I'm not scandalizing anybody with this, there are people in the early church who um, had money. There are people in the early church who were successful in business. There are people in the early church who had inherited funds or who had uh, received funds uh, after the death of a wealthy spouse. There were people who uh, had means. There were also plenty of slaves, and there were plenty of people who did not have means, and plenty of people who were barely scraping by. But God also brought into the church early on people who had the kind of means to support the work that the church was doing. And it's likely Phoebe was one of these. But the thing I want us to, to focus on this morning is what Paul calls her, which is a diakonon. Now, diakonos is the word from which we get the modern term deacon. Uh, and it means servant, and if you are uh, reading your old NIV, uh, she is referred to as a servant of the church in Cancrea. In, in other translations, she might be referred to as a, as a minister of the church or as a helper of the church. Um, and it could be that the word diakonos, again, diakonos is simply somebody who assists or serves or helps. It could be that Paul is simply saying that Phoebe is somebody who has been really helpful in the church in Cancria. Could be. But I think there may be more to it than that. Uh, Let me go to the very beginning of the idea of deacons. Even before the word shows up, we read in in the book of Acts, in chapter 6, that back in the day when when the number of disciples was increasing, uh, this problem developed. Remember, the early church was all what? And the answer is not Jesus. The early church was all... Jewish, right? The early church was all Jewish. It was all Jewish followers of Jesus. And suddenly the gospel catches fire among these Gentiles. So you have both Jews and Gentiles in the church. And so, as you could imagine, this not only creates all kinds of cultural conflict, but you've also got issues of of family and and ethnic loyalty that are coming up here. So we read in chapter 6 that back when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, the Gentile, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, the, yeah, the Gentile Jews, this would have been Jews from the diaspora, from outside of Jerusalem, who some in Jews in Jerusalem wouldn't have even looked at as, as legit. Uh, they complained against the Hebraic Jews. These would have been the more uh, culturally uh, Jewish Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So when there was, you know, we read earlier on that, that basically as people had need, they received from the church. And as people had means, they provided 
to the church and the, and the apostles would, would care for people materially out of the, the abundance that people had, had supplied to them. Uh, and, and evidently every day food was being distributed to widows who otherwise wouldn't be able to eat. Uh, but the problem is that you have these Hellenized Jews, these Jews from the diaspora, saying We're, our widows are being, are being overlooked. They're not being taken care of uh, in favor of these Hebraic Jews. And so the 12 gathered all the disciples together. And they said, these are the apostles kind of get together in, the, in their, uh, they, they huddle up and say, you know, <laughs> basically there are other things God's called us to do than figure out who gets how much matzah. So um, we, we, we need to figure out a solution to this. Uh, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And you know, you, you could look at that as a really obnoxious thing to say. I think these are people who had a clear sense of what God was calling them to do and, what, and the fact that they can only do some things if they don't try to do everything. So they said, brothers, why don't you choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom? We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. Uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was himself a convert to Judaism. So he had originally been a Gentile. But the thing we notice from all the other names is that what kind of names are these? Jesus is also not the answer. Well, they're male, yes, but these are Greek names. These are, these are uh, names, these, you know, it's, it's not like uh, they, they chose uh, Shlomo and David and Yeshua. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nic- Nicor, Timon, Parmenas, and, and Nicholas from Antioch. These are all people uh, who presumably are Jews, but they were Hellenistic Jews. They were Jews that had culturally assimilated to the world of the, uh, the Roman Empire outside of Jerusalem. So you had significant cultural differences. And all along, we've been talking about the issue where you have some people who are, are Jews in the church and some people who are Gentiles. Uh, you know, many of those, you also had a conflict within the Jews. You had the Jews that identified as Hebraic Jews and Jews that identified as, as Hellenistic Jews as, as part of the, the dominant culture around them. So, so these seven men are chosen to be uh, what we later understand to be deacons. But at this point, what we know is that they're chosen to serve. They're chosen to help with the, to ensure that there is a fair provision of food uh, to the widows who are in need. Uh, and we find that in verse 6 that they presented these men to the apostles. So the, the community brings these people, these seven that they've chosen, to the apostles. And the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, Laying your hands on somebody is something that goes all the way back to the, to the Old Testament. This is like when the, when the prophet would commission um, somebody for ministry, like when he, he, would, he would lay his hand on the, on the king, right? Remember, uh, David was anointed with oil. Um, the idea is that, uh, that by laying on the hand, um, this indicates that, uh, that there is divine... For one, it indicates that the community is receiving this person into leadership, uh, it also recognizes that the, that the community is affirming that God has called this person and that the community is praying that God will empower this person by the Holy Spirit to do the work that he's been called to do. That's all kind of uh, included in that physical act of laying a hand on somebody. That's, that's why that, that goes on uh, in, in, in ordination service. And so in this case, basically you have this uh, this ordination of deacons. You have these people uh, presented to the apostles. 
the apostles pray, lay, lay their hands on them. And then, what's the result of this? We see that the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests, in fact, became obedient to the faith. So that's kind of interesting. You have uh, the, the fair treatment of these Hellenistic Jews resulting in a bunch of Hebraic Jews, not just Hebraic Jews, but priests coming to faith. And then as we read later on in Paul's letters, we find uh, in a couple places, Paul actually refers to deacons, to diaconoi, by name. In the beginning of, of Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 1, when Paul's giving his initial greetings, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, the saints just being all the, all the uh, believers in the church in Philippi, together with the episcopoi and the diaconoi. Now, you can get into a big, long argument over whether when Paul says episcopoi, he's referring to bishops or he's referring to just overseers. I don't want to get into that right now. But, uh, but basically, you, you have him mentioning specifically um, the, this category of people that have some sort of a leadership role, but it's a leadership role that, in, by its very name, uh, carries with it the notion of, of service. And then in 1 Timothy 3, when Paul is talking about uh, the qualifications for people in leadership. He says, uh, first he talks about uh, the, the uh, uh, qualifications for somebody to be a bishop, and then he says, deacons, chapter 3, verse 8, First Timothy, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be first tested, and then if not, there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. All right, so we have this emergence of, of a sort of office in the early church, uh, this office that is clearly a type of ministry where people are set apart for it, uh, where it's something that, that people are, um, uh, seem to be ordained for, where, where the, the, the apostles have laid their hands on the people that have been called to this ministry. And then these people are involved in that ministry in a way that they are, are building up the church. And so uh, a few decades after what happened in Acts, we find Paul referring to this woman, Phoebe, who herself is a deacon uh, in the church in Cancria, who is assisting Paul in his work, who's been a patron to him and to others and is supporting him, and who at this point has been uh, sent to Romans in order to read what we now recognize to be the Word of God and to proclaim it to the people who are there. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about this in the family meeting. Uh, as many of you know, uh, on June 7th, I will be ordained a deacon in the Episcopal Church. Now, this is basically a transitional thing. You have to do that before you can be ordained a priest. Um, but one of the things that happens in that service is that the new deacon is presented with a copy of the Bible. Uh, the idea is that, that the, the deacon has a special responsibility to proclaim the word. This kind of goes back all the way to Phoebe. Um, and, uh, and in the Episcopal liturgy, you have to be either deacon or priest to read the, read the gospel reading, which is one of their little quirks. Um, but again, what I want us to recognize here about Phoebe is this is a person who is entrusted by Paul with a great responsibility to bring this message to Rome. Uh, she's somebody who is a person who, she's a, she's a Gentile, um, and she's somebody who is... Uh, a person of, of means, a person of material success. This is somebody who has is, who is, uh, established herself, and by doing that, uh, God has enabled her to support the work of ministry that Paul and others 
are doing. And, uh, and perhaps most importantly, we need to recognize that she has been identified here as a deacon in the church in Kenkri. And so my hope is that as we meet some of these different people that Paul is giving shout-outs to here in chapter 16, my hope is that as we meet them, we can, for one thing, just appreciate the way that God was building the church in the early days, all the different folks that, that he is, is bringing about to be part of the body of Christ. I mean, some of them, this is the only place they're ever mentioned. They're, in a sense, they're, they're famous for all of eternity. It, like, we'll, we'll at some point meet uh, Paul's relative Herodian, and we can find out who Herodian was and what Herodian's deal was and, and why Paul happened to mention him in Romans. Uh, but my hope is that also as we, as we read this, we can also see in all of these names, we can think of also the names in our own congregation, the people we know that bear the same characteristics as the people that Paul mentions, people who have the same kind of calling that Paul identifies these people as having. These are uh, patterns that God seems to work out again and again. Phoebe is certainly not the last person who, whom God blessed with material prosperity who used that to support the work of the church. And, uh, and we certainly have people here at New Hope who, who are like that as well. So as uh, Joe and Amy come back up, will you, will you pray with me? Lord God, we know that uh, no book of Holy Scripture will be written giving us a bunch of shout-outs. It's very likely that no history of the church will be written that will mention us. We will probably be barely remembered by our great-grandchildren if then. Yet, nevertheless, you will have used us in your way to build your church, to build your kingdom, to further the honoring and glorifying of your name. So we pray that like these saints that Paul is talking about here in Romans 16, we pray that we too would be faithful to do the work that you've called us to, that we would be faithful to do... uh, do the ministries that you've called us to, that we would respect the ministries you've called others to. We pray that all of this would be for the edification of your church. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.